Welcome, Ecom Logistics Nation. Thank you for joining today's episode. We're on a mission to share e-commerce logistics insights, trends, successes, and challenges from the leaders and innovators in our space. You know, the logistics industry, the transportation industry is cyclical, even if in the long run there's growth. But unfortunately, that's that's one of the consequences. Welcome, Ecom Logistics Nation. We have a special returning guest episode for you today. Joining us is Ben Gordon, Managing Partner and CEO of Cambridge Capital and BGSA. Ben, we had such great feedback from your first episode. We're thrilled to have you back. And for those that might have missed that episode uh, and want to go back and have a listen, it aired October 17th, 2022. And for those, Ben, that are meeting, hearing you for the first time, could you please share with us your background and an overview of Cambridge Capital and BGSA? Dan, thank you. Pleasure to do that. Great to see you and Ninad and, and part, part of the gang here once again. So yeah. uh, appreciate it. Thank you. So, thank you for being here. <laughs> for, for those that don't know me, I'm Ben Gordon. I'm a supply chain guy. I've spent my career in supply chain. I've started five companies dating back over the last 24 years. Um, starting when I was still in business school and wrote the business plan for a, uh, a SaaS TMS company called Threeplex, venture-backed company, uh, almost got kicked out of business school, but uh, uh, squeaked by and um, ultimately sold the business. It's now a tiny part of IBM, uh, built several other companies since then. And today I run Cambridge Capital, which is a private equity firm that invests in great companies in logistics and supply chain. Awesome. Awesome. Amazing. Well, it's so great to have you back with us, Ben. Uh, and want to just get right at it. We are at the end of yet another wild and crazy year. So would love to get your your perspective on the look back over the past 12 months. Well, Dan, I, I have to say that if you were going to ask me last December how 2023 would go, I would not have predicted this. I'll tell you that we had our annual conference, as, as we do every January, the BGSA Supply Chain Conference, uh, and our, our 18th annual conference coming up this, this January 24th to 26th. Last January, Dan, I remember we had a panel with four of the uh, four CEOs of the then leading companies in the trucking industry. Uh, I have to say then because unfortunately one of them was yellow and uh, which is still, you know, quite a shame, but I mean, look, yellow and Estes and, and, and Werner and, and, uh, and UPS actually. And, and the consensus feedback from that panel from four really smart guys whose opinions I value was that we thought we had another six months of bad news. We'd hit bottom and that the, back half of 2023 was going to be great. We were going to have a freight recovery. Rates were going to be up. Volumes were going to be up. And uh, as you know, that's not what ended up happening. So yeah. my, my point is only to say that that if, if I didn't know and some of the other guys that I consider to be really smart in the industry didn't know, it's sure awfully hard to predict what's, what's going to happen next. But, but, uh, but I think it's worth noting why because um, I, I think there are probably th three critical factors. The first is um, supply and demand, right? So too much capacity chasing too little demand. Why is that? Well, too many trucks, not enough demand. Why are there too many trucks? One reason there are too many trucks is because during the boom times, I think our human nature is to assume that what's happening now continues in that direction. And right. we had, look, 2020, 2021, 
tremendous growth in demand. Some of that was artificially stimulated by government money. Um, some of that was, of course, the growth in e-commerce because we were all working from home, buying from home, buying more uh, things on an e-commerce basis. And uh, so anyhow, the, there was this spike in demand. And I think everybody thought that was uh, secular, but it turned out to be cyclical, up and down, up and down. And so as a result, we projected that forward, all of us did. And what what happened? Uh, people said, hey, I, I've got a truck. Uh, now's a good time for me to add a second or a third or a fourth. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I could borrow for free because zero interest rate uh, 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 ecosystem. So the point is, number one, too much capacity, too many trucks. Then when that cyclical demand came down, we, we had this imbalance. And we've had these imbalances before. 2019, we had it. 2007, 2008, we had it. So you know, the logistics industry, the transportation industry is cyclical, even if in the long run there's growth. Um, but unfortunately, that's that's one of the consequences. So I think one, uh, too much capacity. Two, too little demand, and that's that that cycle that we talked about. And then three uh, was the the spike in interest rates. So if in 2020, 2021, really, if you think about it, and and uh, uh, I, I think it's safe to say um, that uh, our our respective careers. Uh, well, I, I won't I won't guess anybody's age. I'll just tell you mine. Uh, okay, I. I uh, I uh, started my first company in 99, and over the course of those 24 years, almost all of them were in record low interest rate levels um, in all of American history. So yeah. guess what? When interest rates are low and the cost of borrowing is low and, and financing is easy, it's a different world. And so Warren Buffett says, when the tide comes in, you see who's been swimming naked. Uh, well, the tide came in. Tide came in when rates went up. Rates, you know, shot up in in the last year and a half, uh, you know, for a number of reasons, inflation being the most important. And in a world where interest rates are super high, cost of borrowing is high, people's willingness to spend goes down. Um, and so now all of a sudden you had this trap. Uh, and the trap meant that trucking companies were under pressure, shippers were under pressure, everybody was under pressure. So long story short, I think that's why uh, we, we've seen this. Uh, uh, deep and long freight recession over the course of the last year and change. So, uh, unfortunately, that's been that's been bad news for a lot of great companies. Um, I do, however, think <laughs> this time <laughs> I, I do think we're within six months of things starting to get better. And uh, and let's let's see if that's true. And, and well, would you say that's based on? the peak season performance that we are seeing as well out in the market to say, hey, you, you know what, maybe we need to start shifting how we do demand planning or procurement exercises or whatnot. Like, do you see those patterns changing is what's telling you that six months we are going to see the tide turn? Yeah, so I, I think there, there are several factors. One is what you just mentioned, that we are seeing some peak season activity. There was no peak season activity last year, so that's that's good. Two, if you look at the freight rates, things have been kind of bumping along at the bottom and they've ticked up over the last quarter. Um, my friend Chris Pickett, who publishes the Pickett line and and is a pretty smart analyst when it comes to this topic, believes that we've hit bottom and things are, are ticking up and that, that data supports it. And then three, uh, look, I mean, how do supply demand imbalances get resolved? Well, one way they get resolved is when companies go bankrupt and capacity exits the market in the last year. Sadly, 
for you know some terrific people at some you know terrific companies, there have been a lot of bankruptcies. Yellow is the largest and the most yeah. prominent, but certainly not the only one. We've had more bankruptcies this year than in any year since 2008. And when the final data is in, it may prove to have been worse than that as well. So um, while that's terrible and tragic for the people involved, the employees, uh, shareholders and, and other stakeholders in those companies, what it means for the industry is some capacities left. Uh, and that's a that's a reason why uh, why, why things are, are starting to firm up and, and get better. So is there still more left to do? Yeah, there is. But I, but I think for all those reasons, uh, I do believe things are starting to get better and I, I believe they'll continue to get better. Yeah. And, and the third point you made specifically, right, uh, around, you know, how do you correct the imbalance of supply and demand? Is it like, you know, bankruptcies and people going out of business? And it seems like to to the point you were making, right, like there is the two ends of the spectrum. You have the large ones, right, like that already had the pressures and they got to run this large operation. If they weren't, weren't financially prudent, let's just say they struggled. And then there is a lot of independent owner operator. And that's, that's what some of the sad story actually happens to be as well. It's like life savings of, you know, buying that truck for $300,000, right? And having that second one. And like, I take a lot of Uber rides and, you know, live in Toronto and I can tell you, uh, half my Uber drivers are actually truck drivers. Um, mm-hmm. that's kind of the, the dichotomy in Toronto. And so you kind of, I start having the conversations and that's what you find. It's like I had a truck and I'd file for bankruptcy or if they are just a driver driver, they are basically saying it's a race to the bottom. Who's going to do it at the lowest cost per mile, right? Like the pressures that have built up. So it's really good news to hear that there is some some improvements that are coming in the market itself. And maybe just in those lines, uh, so we there is this freight recession, as you kind of called it. What about the general state of the union? I, I don't think any one single analyst is able to agree right now on where we are. What's your opinion on like the the, the general state of the economy as you look at like 2023? Have we started, have we bottomed out? Well, my opinion is um, my opinion is yes, um, but there there are a couple of moving parts. I mean, one, the fact that it looks like we are no longer in an environment where the Fed's going to keep raising rates. You know, the 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 joke, the old line was that uh, the 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 Fed is like the guy that takes the punch bowl away just when the party's getting started, and uh, and they do that by raising rates. Well, they they raised rates by a lot in the last year and a half. Uh, it looks like that's over because it looks like the the record high inflation levels that, that we've suffered over the last year and a half have uh, have have started to stabilize, started to come down. So look, if the if interest rates are more favorable, right, meaning meaning there is uh, a reduction in those rates that put that puts more money into the economy because it makes it cheaper to borrow and it makes it easier for uh, you know for businesses to grow. So so I think number one we are seeing that and that's good. Number two, while I'm not uh, an economist, I you know read the, the you know the, the the same you know data sources that uh, you know the Wall Street Journal and otherwise. Consumer spending you know is, is starting to tick back up and and then. Look, I think number three is is uh, there's there's the this whole realignment of supply chains um, and the, the shift in dependence from China to the shift to North American manufacturing and, and, and U.S. Mexico supply chains. That's actually good news in terms of economic growth, because it's an incentive to both to spend money on building manufacturing capacity, 
uh, and then to bolster the supply chains that, that connect those. So I think for all three of those reasons, uh, we are seeing things start to strengthen. Beautiful. That, that This term reshoring, the amount of times I've heard that, I'd never heard that before. And all of a sudden, it's like it pops up in my stream all the time, this <laughs> concept of reshoring. So now that's great. And, you know, just just switching it up onto the, the forward looking side of things, right? Like, so you mentioned this is cyclical. This happens, right? So what are the lessons you would say for business owners, independent owner operators, you know, freight companies, logistics companies, shippers, everyone, right? Of from a financial prudent standpoint, like what should companies be doing as they think about protecting, creating moats for future? Hopefully not for the next few years, but what are the lessons learned based on some of the things that we saw happen this year? How do you create moats? Well, it, it's a great question. I mean, in the end, um, I think most companies think they have something differentiated and you find out if it's true or not in a situation like 2023. Um, and so, so, I mean, if I look at, just as an example, my portfolio, so Cambridge Capital has eight companies in supply chain logistics, supply chain technology, and, and uh, I'll just give you a couple examples of companies that I think have moats and that, you know, in turn have been able to grow at, at pretty strong rates despite the economic pressure. So green screens would be one. Green screens is, is AI powered predictive pricing for trucking and for truck brokerage. So what does that mean? If I wanted to ship a truckload of freight from Pittsburgh to Palm Beach, what should it cost? Well, the old way I did it, uh, I might have gone to a DAT or somebody else and looked at what the historical rate was. That was backwards looking. That was an average. It wasn't specific to my freight patterns or, or my lanes. Um, and in a world where markets are volatile, you really want forward looking data, not backward looking data. So green screens figured out if they take your data and feed it to their algorithms and people, a lot of people talk about AI, but uh, very few people are really doing it. And uh, but green screens has amazing AI engineering and machine learning capabilities so, and they now have close to $10 billion of freight flowing through their system, which continues to train the algorithms to get more and more accurate. So they are able to look at your data and tell you, hey, given your patterns, this is what you should be paying right now today uh, for this, you know, origin destination combination, for this Pittsburgh to Palm Beach truckload. And the accuracy rate is dramatically higher uh, by some metrics, you know, uh, a 5x lower error rate when it comes to the uh, to the pricing. Why is that great? Well, it means if you're a truck broker, you know exactly what the right price is to quote, so you don't have to play this game where you yeah. you're guessing. Because if you don't know, what do you do? You always add in a cushion just in case you're wrong. Yeah. But if you can eliminate the error factor and you could just be precise, a you're more accurate. B you have a much higher win rate. You're a truck broker that had a 5% win rate could have a 30% win rate, which means that their frontline people could be 6x more productive. Um, that means that uh, while their gross margin might be similar, right? You know, meaning how much do they take after they've, uh, you know, um, charged the, uh, the customer, you know, the, the spread right. between the customer and the carrier, um, everything below the line becomes much more profitable. So it helps make uh, freight brokers a lot more efficient, a lot more successful. And that's a reason why, in the last two years, Green Screens has won 150 of the top 200 freight brokers. So that, to me, is a pretty good example of a moat. Wow. And it's a reason, yeah, it's a reason why they've had terrific growth this year. Wow. 
dominating the market. Yeah. And then I'll give you another one that's that's uh, knowing knowing that there's some uh, some reverse logistics brain power uh, on this call. <laughs> you guys, one of our companies is Reverse Logics, which yep. is software for powering return. Reverse Logics does they don't do the service; they just do the software. Their software powers returns. It's a returns management system for logistics companies, uh, brands, CPG retailers. You know the kind of the whole ecosystem and What's special about that is it's think of it as like a WMS that operates the entire workflow in a facility, except it's in reverse. And so uh, if, if you implement a, a reverse logic system, once you're implemented, the labor savings are tremendous. I mean, you might be you might take out tens of millions of, of, of labor costs. Uh, and therefore take what's usually a, a loss center and turn it into a profit center, right? Because people lose a lot of money on returns. Um, and then secondly, because that ends up getting integrated into their other systems, you know, much like you have a TMS, you have a WMS, you yep. might have an OMS. Well, now with reverse logics, you have an RMS. And, and so, you know, we think they're the category leader. They're the only one that, that really does that. And, and by the way, that also makes them not just really valuable to their customers, but it also makes them a very predictable business, a sticky business. And in a world where we've just experienced the pain of, of volatility, where there could be a 60% drop in freight rates like, like we saw this past year, um, that kind of predictability, it's great for the customer and it's, and it's great for the software company. So I, in, a, in a very different way, reverse logics is a good example of a book. Absolutely. And I... I... As you called out, I play in the reverse space quite a lot um, and get to analyze lots of stuff that's happening in the market. And literally every single day, I find how little the world knows about reverse uh, and and how many brand shippers, retailers don't take, you know, that as a value center and the ability to drive more profitability, more, you know, customer experiences, improvement around that. There is so much that goes around it. And one of the things I got to say is this was the first year where I'm seeing not just the big retailers, but mid-sized brands that are starting to take this very seriously as they are to bring in financial prudence. Returns has now become this really critical thing. When the going was good, it was all good. Now that the going is not as good, that's where everyone's realizing how much but they can actually recover from those returns goods and the experience that they can provide to customers. Completely agree. Yeah. Those well, are dollar you know, bills sitting there, right? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> they're dollar bills. They're not pennies. They're, <laughs> there's a lot of money to be recovered. And I think Ben, those were two really solid examples. And maybe for our, for our audience and listeners too, for those companies, for that executive team or, you know, founders that are, trying to keep their heads above water, um, you know, struggling or adapting to these changing times. Is there any piece of advice you could give? Because like what I'm actually hearing from you with those two examples, it's, it's a laser focus, right? But I'm sure there's other examples that you could provide on, you know, what to do in these times. Definitely. Well, you're, you're right, Dan. There are two different types of examples because one – is more a transactional system and the other is more an enterprise system, but they both have in common just what you said, a laser-like focus on doing one thing really well. So, so my, my, you asked about advice. I think here's my observation. The most successful companies 
tend to be doing one thing extremely well. I mean, I think about, uh, you know, the best investment that, that I've made in the supply chain world. And that was um, meeting Brad Jacobs in 2010 and working with him on a growth strategy and co-investing with him in the acquisition of Express One, which would become XPO. And Brad took that company from a $70 million, really a, a $10 million EBITDA, $70 million value company to a $20 billion company over 10 years. Uh, with a string of acquisitions along the way, and, and you know, tremendous growth. You know, if you invested a dollar in 2011, in the moment of the acquisition, you would have made 50 times your money over a decade. And I think what Brad did right, and one of the many things that that I learned from from watching him was. It wasn't just that he was laser focused on what he wanted to do, which was consolidating the logistics industry and buying a string of great companies that were best of breed in different areas and leveraging technology and, and infrastructure across all of them. But it was also how he looked for acquisitions. So because XPO looked at, I mean, thousands of companies on some level, hundreds seriously, and in the end bought uh, about 20. And it's worth noting, what did he not buy? He did not buy the companies that were good at several things, three, four, five different things. What did he buy? He tended to buy companies that were great at one specific thing. I'll give you an example. When he bought Newbreed, Newbreed was a leader in contract logistics, and they sort of tech, telecom, medical, a customer like Verizon, Siemens, Apple, Boeing, and they were great at that one thing. And there was a lot that they didn't do, but they were so great at that one thing that when Brad bought the new breed business, he said, you guys are going to be my contract logistics platform. And not surprisingly, that became the basis for what today is GXO and the management team. And, you know, Ashfaq, who is the, the CIO for new breed, uh, rose to become CEO of contract logistics for XPO. And, and, uh, and you know, you know what happened after that. Similarly, if you look at, at some of the other areas, um, you know, the foray that he, he didn't, did, Brad did not buy a series of trucking companies, but he made one major acquisition, which was Conway. Uh, and of course, that was a market leader at LTL. And guess what? Conway is now the foundation for what is XPO today, the you know the, the yeah. LTL trucking business. And so, yeah. you know, I think the the lesson that that I learned watching Brad was focus on doing one thing really well. And the thing that I've tried to do with the rest of our portfolio at, at Cambridge is to back companies that are doing an outstanding job in that one thing. And green screens and reverse logics in uh, in predictive pricing and returns management are certainly two illustrations of that. So I love that you told us that story because it puts something in context for me. So I, I met Ben at a conference uh, last summer um, and I was sitting at the table with him and talking about a bunch of stuff. And I actually asked him, I'm like, you know, what kind of company, right? Like I've been thinking about like from a startup perspective, productization, what should we do? And I remember Ben's response be like, because he knows the background around Genco and history. And he goes, you know what? Build another something like Genco, right? Like that, that's literally, and I, I was kind of like, okay, that sounds really big, but I see where, you know, your background, your history kind of tying into, right? Like that type of value creation. And again, that hyper-focus, reverse lo logistics as an example for Genco, like, that made it, right? That took it to the next step. And of course, contract logistics and everything else that went along with it and e-commerce and whatnot. But no, um, you just put that in context for me. Yeah, sorry. I <laughs> yeah. love that. If you don't aim high, you never have a shot. So you might exactly. as well aim high. 
Trust me, it was a little scary when you said build something <laughs> like Jenko. <laughs> so in addition to the the laser focus, Ben, you obviously get the opportunity to look at a lot of different investment opportunities. You mentioned, obviously, the AI. We've talked about reverse. But when you're exploring those opportunities, what is there something or the things that make you say, this one's got potential and I'm interested in exploring it further? Like, what are those few characteristics? Maybe it's the founding team or the executive team and the the moat and the focus. But we'd just love to hear your perspective on that. Sure. So, Dan, here's the checklist that I go through when when we look for a new platform. So the first is, do we think that they are a great company focused on doing one thing really well? And not surprising, given what we've been talking about over the last few minutes. So, you know, are they a leader or do they have the capacity to become a leader in in some area that has tailwinds, whether that's uh, a niche within e-commerce logistics or medical logistics or U.S.-Mexico cross-border or some other area where you know there are tailwinds for long-term growth um, and, and where what they have to offer is, is special. Then secondly, um, you know, how, do you, how can you prove it? Well, you can prove it with great customers, great case studies and illustrations that, uh, that, that they're doing an outstanding job. And so that might be uh, customers that love them uh, or it might be technology that's highly differentiated. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's worth noting, by the way, that uh, and this this you know may may sound crazy or uh, or or at least controversial, but customers that love you not always the best predictor of long term growth. Uh, in fact, if you look at a lot of the high growth tech companies, they've been very good at figuring out the the MVP, the minimum viable product, in order to do the thing that matters. Obviously, you'd rather have customers that love you. But if you are doing enough so that the customers like you and are using you and then are really investing in, okay, what's next, what's next, what's next, you know, sometimes that's better. So uh, I I just mentioned that as a a little bit of a curveball, but really comes under the heading of they've got to be doing something special and whether that moat comes from the customers, the technology or otherwise, that's two. Three is the people. At the end of the day, uh, you know, we always look for great people that we like, that we trust, uh, that we think have the kind of leadership capabilities to build something big. And, and those people sometimes decide that they don't want to be along for you know, a 10-year journey of building the business. Maybe they want to do it for five years and then sell and recap, or, and, and you know, that's fine. But we want people that have the capacity, the motivation, and the, and the drive to build something great and to be along for the journey. And we want to be along for the journey too and in support of those outstanding people. So, you know, this is very much a people-centric business. Um, and then fourth is uh, the, the, the financials. The business has got to be big enough that it makes sense. At Cambridge, we write 10 to $50 million equity checks. And so those are either buyouts or growth equity investments. The buyouts, these are generally companies doing five to $20 million of EBITDA. Um, would we look at something bigger than that? You know, maybe, but usually uh, it, it ends up being uh, just sort of a, a much more competitive discussion, and you end up with you know uh, more banks and uh, and more buyers. And it doesn't mean that we can't do it or that we don't want to do it, but we don't want to be spending time where we're one of a hundred plus buyers talking to somebody. We want to know that yeah. that. We're special to them. They're special to us. There's there's a unique fit. 
uh, and we found that tends to match up well with those five to 20 million EBITDA companies that are uh, more often than not entrepreneur-led, entrepreneur-run. And then on the other hand, on the growth equity side, uh, typically supply chain software companies, mm-hmm. those are usually uh, five to 20 million of recurring revenue. And whether they're profitable or not, you know, the unit economics should make sense and there should be some path to profitability. But they don't have to be profitable. I mean, it may well be company like green screens that you know grew 5x last year is making very conscious choices about growth versus margin and you know you could very well say all right i'm not going to invest in all that growth i'm going to pull the throttle back i'm not going to hire all these salespeople and all these customer success people and as a result i'll i'll have a slower growth more profitable business and is that the right call you know sometimes it is you know sometimes it isn't but we want to have the option we want the company to have the potential to be profitable or, or approaching profitability and and then look the last factor is goals there's got to be alignment around what does everybody want so yep. the founder that says i want to build something great and i want a partner that can help me and support me in, in certain areas um and knowing that at cambridge capital we have a set of operating partners who've built major companies in different areas of supply chain um, that can add a lot of value and that pattern recognition adds a lot of value. Fantastic. You know, the, the, the owner that says, well, I'm just looking to cash out and all I care about is money and, and that, that's it. Yep. Great. You know, w- wish him or her the best of luck. Uh, and, and by the way, we, we have an affiliated investment bank called BG Strategic Advisors, and maybe they can help that person run their auction and sell and cash out. But as Cambridge, we don't want to just be there for money. Obviously, the money matters. And, you know, we, we want to pay a full fair price for great companies and then help them become even bigger. But the primary motivation usually is uh, I want to get from here to here. And the money is a part of it. The resources are a part of it. The vision is a part of it. Pattern recognition is a part of it. And I would say all the companies that we've backed, the CEOs had the desire to build something much bigger and believe that we could be a helpful, supportive partner in doing that. And so I think in my mind, those are the five factors that, that we care about the most. Very well said. That's amazing. I got to yeah. take like all of these, like one, two, threes, the one, twos, the one, two, three, fours, <laughs> and now the fives, right? I, uh-huh. I'm going to actually have someone in the team actually go through, note them down so that we can just create some joint blog post and put it out there. Cause these are some really sage words. But I, oh, I appreciate magic. it. Yeah. And I got to give you different numbers occasionally. Everything can't be three yeah. points, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ben. Well, I'm excited for this last uh, little segment here in conversation. Uh, <laughs> you alluded to it earlier before. So I want to spend some more time on the BGSA Supply Chain Conference, which is really a convergence of the top minds in the industry uh, would love for you to walk us through its inception and, you know, what could someone achieve? What's the aim during the event? Uh, and what are some of maybe some of the standout moments or outcomes that you've had over the past? Yeah. Well, Dan, thank you. This will be our 18th annual BGSA Supply Chain Conference. And it's been a pleasure for me to get to meet so many amazing CEOs and leaders and learn from them. Um, and I think that the goal for the event is really we want the BGSA Supply Chain Conference to be the place that gathers the best and brightest across all areas of supply chain. And so not just truck brokerage or freight forwarding or warehousing or supply chain technology, but 
you know, a whole host of other areas as well, cross-border, U.S.-Mexico, global, uh, spotlight on difficult issues, you know, like like uh, uh, labor issues. And certainly there's been a spotlight on, on uh, you know, labor battles in, in the industry over the last year or M&A or recruiting or just navigating uh, the, you know, the freight recession, getting ready for what comes next. So really, the event is all about top leaders talking about the top issues on their minds that help make them successful in what they do. And and so uh, a couple of examples or highlights, things that, that stood out for me. I mean, one, um, you know, since, uh, you know, you brought up, you know, we talked about Genco before, you know, we've had Genco's founder, you know, and CEO Herb Shear uh, talk about the process of the sale of his business to FedEx, which was a pretty cool discussion. Or uh, Transplace, the Transplace Uber deal, which came together at our conference uh, and, you know, discussion about that. Or stories from people, sort of how I built it stories, you know, Brad Jacobs doing a, a, a you know, terrific town hall discussion around how he built XPO and what's next. Richard White, doing an incredible story last year about how he went from being uh, a guitar mechanic for ACDC to uh, the founder and CEO of one of the world's most valuable software companies, uh, WiseTech, and, wow. and how, he, how he grew it, uh, his, his mentality with respect to building great software, uh, to building teams, to acquisitions, to uh, treating each line of code like uh, like like uh, like a religious text. I mean, there there are a lot of fascinating things that that I learned, and I think everybody learned from getting to hear from people like Richard and Brad and and Herb and and, and various others. So uh, it's a it's a terrific event. It's um, it, it's by invitation only, but I'm happy yeah. to share invitations with 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 uh, anybody who's listening that would like to come. Just just, you know, just reach out. It's uh, you go to the bgsaconference.com site. Uh, you can see all the details, and if, if you reach out to to me, Bennett, CambridgeCapital.com, or find me on, on LinkedIn or Twitter, you know, I'd be happy to send you an invite. And uh, and and uh, it, it, we 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 love the fact that there's been a culture of inclusiveness at the conference where people tend to be open and discuss big issues in their business that, you know, frankly, uh, you are not likely to see in other places. You won't see them in Wall Street conferences or CSCMP or other trade shows. It's just there's there's a level of, of trust and, and rapport that I think that uh, that's been part of the culture of the event from, from day one. And it's it's I think it's a reason why things get done there. People are willing to let their guards down, be candid and, and talk about, you know, the big things that they're considering and, you know, whether that leads to an investment or an acquisition or, uh, or, or, or the many lifelong friendships that have been born out of it. It's, it's a, it's a special event and uh, be more than happy to open it up and, and uh, share, share with your audience. And Ben, I have to say this for years, I've been watching it. Right. And so I do have to say this, it is by far, one of the most exclusive kind of like, I know you said like invitation only, right? Like it's, and the the folks that actually come there, it, I just need to inform the audience. We are talking about one of the most exclusive events within the supply chain space where, you know, the, if you are getting invited uh, in the supply chain space, chances are you made it. So <laughs> that's how I've always looked at it. So, uh, Happy that you are doing it again this year. I saw the lineup of the folks that are going to be there. 
it's again the who's who of the space. Uh, and again, from a candid kind of dialogue standpoint, I saw some of the speaking uh, things. Do, do you want to kind of highlight like who's who's going to be speaking or some of the events uh, out there yeah. this year? Yeah, I'd, l- I'd love to do it. So, yeah. so first of all, if you look at um, you look at some of the, I mean, there are, well, there are lots of high profile people that, that, that I'm excited about and, uh, at the risk of picking, you know, picking a few and, and, uh, uh, admitting anybody, uh, l- l- let me just, uh, showcase a few. So, um, one of the topics is the question of what's the outlook for the coming year. And so we have CEOs from a wide, wide variety of areas. If you're curious about what's happening in the contract Warehousing and logistics arena and fulfillment. Laura Ritchie, the CEO of Radial, uh, will be there. If you're curious about what's happening on the Canadian side of the border, John Ferguson, CEO of Purelater, will be there. Um, and uh, and then uh, for for sort of domestic uh, contract logistics, Dennis Riley, the CEO of Kenco, John Burke, the CEO of Armada, and the uh, food supply chain. Um, on the other hand, if you think about uh, what's happening in the uh, in the deal arena, uh, Tom Schmidt, CEO of Forward Air, which has been in the news for a deal they almost did yep. and decided not to do with Omni, uh, which will be pretty interesting. Paul Martin, CEO of, of Ascent Global Logistics, which uh, he and his private equity partners just bought and sort of an interesting spotlight and uh, case study and, and story about that. If you're curious about the outlook on the transportation side, uh, people like uh, NFI CEO Sid Brown, uh, Mode Global CEO Lance Malish, uh, Art Best CEO Judy McReynolds, RxO spinoff of XPO CEO Drew Wilkerson. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, these are uh, major multi-billion-dollar comp- companies. Then, on the other hand, if you want to look at the uh, the technology side and the the, the innovation side, um, to, to give you some examples, uh, uh, Rod Painter, the CEO of Trimble, which is uh, now yeah. I think a twenty billion-dollar business, so yeah. uh, enormous. It. But, but then on the other hand, uh, uh, Ken, uh, Kendra Tucker, Ken, uh, Kendra's the CEO of Truckstop. And Truckstop is, uh, of course, uh, one of the largest companies in, in the uh, digital freight matching arena and, and, and yep. uh, increasingly broad range of, of other services. Then, uh, then if you think about uh, um, the, the realm of document automation, Renee Krug, the CEO of Transflow. Um, then to go to a totally different spot, what about chief supply chain officers? Well, we have the CSCOs and leaders of uh, organizations like Clorox, Walmart, Google. Um, so it, it's pretty amazing, I think. And, yeah. and the, the, the talent and the, the diversity of, of, uh, of leadership capabilities and ideas, uh, I think, is quite special. This is phenomenal. Can't wait. Can't yeah. wait. And if that wasn't enough, why don't you share, Ben, with everyone where the location is <laughs> in the January? Location, <laughs> the location, January 24th to 26th, when when uh, the northern half of the U.S. is, is uh, convulsing with snowstorms, is in sunny Palm Beach, Florida, uh, where as of right now, it's 80 and sunny and, and uh, uh, as it as it is every day, and just about. And uh, it's at the Breakers Hotel, which is one of the uh, one oh, of the yeah. top hotels in the world, uh, top top five in the U.S., and that's uh, a fantastic place. And really, you know, we spend a lot of time and effort uh, to make sure that it's not just uh, a place where the best and brightest gather to talk about big issues, but also where th- there's a top notch experience. And and so, you know, <laughs> ranging from uh, from from 
every from the ambience and the food to if you're a tennis player getting to play with Wimbledon champions like John Lloyd, uh, or if you're if you play golf or, or uh, golf golf on the uh, on the you know fantastic Breakers Ocean Course and and a whole host of other fun things. I, I should add one thing. Uh, I certainly don't want to promise this, but but there's always a surprise or two. Um, one of the surprises last year. Uh, well, if you think about the people that care about supply chain, you might you might be amazed how many people care about supply chain. Uh, one of our friends who showed up who has a branded business and is evaluating new supply chain partners um, is Mike Tyson. So Mike Tyson was here last year. Interesting. And, uh, Mike's wife, Kiki, who is at really the, the brilliant business mind behind uh, Mike's businesses, sat in the sessions and interviewed some of the supply chain CEOs and, and, uh, uh, you know, this was, she actually, she had read the 10 Ks for some of the public companies that presented and had some pointed questions. And I have to say, I think she probably, uh, knew the sector better than, than some of the other folks that, that, that had been in this industry for decades. So, <laughs> um, so you never know what, 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 uh, terrific people will show up. This is amazing. And I, I actually look forward to it this year. So, Oh, likewise. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, Ben. Again, thank you for joining us uh, uh, for your second uh, uh, guest appearance on the podcast. We look forward to seeing you in January. And again, for all the everyone listening, check out the website that Ben provided. We'll also link everything in the show notes so it's easy access. And uh, And again, thank you for joining us, Ben. Thank you, Ben. Thank you very much. You guys are terrific. So, Hi, I'm Ninad Acharya, CEO and co-founder of Fulfillment IQ. And I'm here with Dan Call, CRO and partner at Fulfillment IQ. We're the team behind the Ecom Logistics Podcast. Our mission is to provide you with genuine insights from our work alongside logistics leaders to help you improve your supply chain. In the Ecom Logistics Podcast, we share the knowledge and the insights we've gained from working alongside amazing brands, retailers, 3PLs, and VCs, so you can make the most out of your supply chain journey. If you like what you're hearing, we'd truly appreciate your support with a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting channel. Your feedback not only keeps us going, but also helps others find the podcast. If you think Fulfillment IQ can assist you, or if you have an idea related to logistics, just reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm always up for a chat and ready to explore new possibilities together. Stay tuned to the Ecom Logistics Podcast on your favorite podcast platform for fresh and practical insights into e-commerce and logistics. Until next time, let's keep making a difference in logistics together.